Welcome to Your Family Dog, a podcast dedicated to helping families love living with dogs. Hi, and welcome back to Your Family Dog. I'm Julie Fudge-Smith, and I'm here with Tina Spring, and we are going to talk today about the five domains. Now, Colleen, my first podcast wife, as Tina likes to call her, and I did a two-part series on the five freedoms, which are freedom from distress, fear or anxiety, freedom from pain or injury, freedom from environmental stress and discomfort, freedom from hunger and thirst, and freedom to express behaviors that promote well-being and to engage in species-typical behaviors. Really important. All five of those are very important, which is why we spent time talking about them. However, in The Forever Dog by Rodney Habib and Dr. Karen Becker, they talked to Dr. David Malore, professor of animal welfare science at Massey University in New Zealand. He went beyond the five freedoms and created what he calls the five domains, which emphasize positive experiences, not just minimizing negative ones. And so I thought we would talk about these because, as Dr. Becker and Mr. Habib point out, emphasizing these positive experiences can have longevity enhancing benefits, which is what we're all looking for, is to increase the longevity of our dog's life and the quality of their life. So the five domains are good nutrition, provide a diet to maintain full health and vigor and enable an eating experience that is pleasurable, a good environment, minimize exposures to health consulting chemicals, good health, prevent or rapidly diagnose, treat injury, disease, and illness, maintain good muscle tone and physical function. Appropriate behavior is number four. Provide congenial company and variety, minimize threats and unpleasant restrictions on behavior, and promote engagement and rewarding activities. And number five, positive mental experiences. Provide safe, enjoyable species-specific opportunities for pleasurable experiences, promote various forms of comfort, pleasure, interest, confidence, and a sense of control. So the five domains expand on the five freedoms. And Tina, what are your thoughts on all this? I think these are really great goals for even the average family. We're all starting wherever we're starting, and we can make gradual changes that eventually manifest in much bigger and bigger ways for our dogs. So that can be improving the quality of the nutrition your dog is getting by throwing some blueberries in the bowl, by adding some fresh fruits and vegetable and dairy and meat. And it can also be for the person who's, you know, really, really invested in feeding their dogs healthy, low processed, clean sources of food, improving even that, right? I don't know. We're weird. We have a whole house filter for water. We have um, an air purification system that both of those we put into place because of the dogs, not because of the people, (laughs) though the people get benefit from them too. So removing some of the stressors to the animals that that we have stewardship for, Um, and also for the people, right? For for family members and friends who come to visit. So I like that the idea of these domains is wherever you're starting is fine and you're just making incremental progress. There's not a perfect goal. Like none of us are ever going to create an entirely stress-free, healthy environment ever. 
just the definition of that, what that looks like changes all the time, but still a good set of goals. Absolutely. Um, and by the way, if you all own The Forever Dog, which we highly recommend you get, it's a great book. These domains are listed on page 372. Uh, one of the things that I was going to say that, that really struck me about this was how well it tied into what this whole book is about, which is about even making minor changes. If you make just tiny changes in your dog's nutrition, you can increase their longevity by 10%. It's really amazing some of the things that they talk about, how quickly you can make a difference in the quality of your dog's life just by minor changes. But the other thing that I really liked about these was because they're positive and they're about maximizing positive experiences, I think it really is empowering to pet owners because it's, a, it's sort of giving you permission to be proactive and to really be empowered to take over the control of your dog's health and well-being, and that you can do more. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to do this. And you can make small changes that will empower you and your animal to have a healthier, happier life. I was just thinking about, I have a, a new grand dog, Rosemary, who is a sweetheart. But Rosemary, who is very, very smart, needs a lot of positive mental experiences. And uh, one of the things that we are always looking for is new ways to give Rosemary some interesting mental challenges. And one of the things that uh, we found works really well is just a wide variety of, of little puzzle toys. But the thing that is really fun is that we realized that we can cycle through them. We don't have to have a thousand and one mental activities for Rosemary, but what we need to do is be creative in how it's presented to her and what's presented to her and when it's presented to her. I have this little gourd like thing that you can put treats in and I gave it to her the other day when I was babysitting and she really liked it. And when she was done, I picked it up and put it away. I think one of the things that we can remember about, you know, positive mental experiences for our dogs is less is more in some ways. And that um, if you, it's kind of like with your kids, if you want them to appreciate something more, give it to them less. So I give, we give her a lot of mental experiences, but we also don't just let the toy hang around. So I think there's, there's easy ways to be creative with your dog that may not require a whole lot of, of uh, what should we say, not a huge investment of money. Of course, right? And it's also individual by dog. So Jack, um, our youngest pot cake, um, if you do a food puzzle, just looks at you like, why are you making food hard? Like they are not enriching for him. He Same thing with Zuzu. He looks really annoyed. Like now, if he watches another dog work it, sometimes that piques his interest. Usually not. The, the Doberman, <laughs> you know. Anything that requires a brain cell is a magnificent puzzle. So just switching it up and putting his food in a slow bowl so that he's got to figure out a different way to splash it out of the bowl is enriching for him. Marco loves a puzzle. His go-to move, if he gets frustrated, is to pick it up and sling it against a wall. So his choice requires some supervision. And, you know, M Mr. is just this side of a serial killer so no squeakies there will be no squeakies or his his brain turns to jujubes so i would say part of it is like you have to know your individual dog 
and know like, okay, is this puzzle going to be too difficult, too easy? Most of them are somewhat adjustable. So you can get creative with them and introduce in the case of puzzle toys, you can introduce them in ways that allow the dog to kind of stair step their way into figuring it out. But experiences can also be as simple as, you know, them eating mini pepperoni out of the bathtub, right? Like there's all sorts of ways to do silliness that just give them a different experience. I personally love free shaping as just how to entertain them and see what they come up with, right? Engaging their brain in a way that we're, instead of us directing them, which I think happens often in training, it's more asking questions. So kind of saying to my dog, like, hey, we're in this environment. We're just going to hang out. I'm going to have your back. I've got a little bit of string cheese and we're going to watch the environment. And I want to see what's interesting to you. Right. What's difficult? What's a little bit scary? And really gathering data from the dog rather than, I think lots of us are, are quick to want to jump in and tell the dog what to do or how to feel. And that works about as well with dogs as it does with women. So, <laughs> Really, it's, it's, it's kind of like mansplaining to your dog. You don't need to mansplain to your dog. Sometimes you just need to let them feel. The other thing I was going to say, that's I really like that idea. I have a, a client right now whose dog gets just so excited um, just by environmental things. So one of the things that we have been doing is taking some valuable treats and going and sitting on a park bench that's a particular distance away from a lot of activity because if we're too close, he can't process it. And we just sit there and we watch him and reward him for watching and not reacting and then but paying close attention to what he does react to and how he reacts because i think one of the things that you were when you were saying about you know here we are in an environment let's see how you know what's interesting and intriguing to you what's scary i think it's a great way to then begin to understand your dog's individual body language and their cues as to what is good, bad, or indifferent for them. And knowing that kind of thing will help you to choose the kind of toys that they're interested in, choose the kind of experiences that they're interested in, and keep them safe and happy, which is um, part of our, all, all of our longevity goals, is to keep our dogs happy and interested and feeling safe in the world. So I was thinking about this last night um, as we were crawling into bed. We've had some really kind of busy and not easy weeks. And I ran, I taught and then ran errands and came home and ate the dinner that Christopher had lovingly prepared for me and then saved so that I could eat it when I got home. He was already in bed when I got home. Like, I don't know that I touched him yesterday. So laying in bed, I was like, I don't know that I've actually cuddled my dude at all today. And so I, you know, made an effort to just skin to skin, like, hey, you matter to me. Now, granted, he was asleep, but hopefully it got in there somewhere. Hopefully a little bit of dopamine showed up in his brain. I think it's easy as busy humans, especially with young families, to have lived our life in the company of a dog, but not necessarily even given them, you know, five minutes of undivided 
check-in time. And so I, I do try to be really mindful. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Very good point. Most often mine happens while I'm sitting on the john, but I'll take it. Like that that is an okay time to do that checking in and being like, you know, having the the weird like Jack and I had a weird conversation yesterday where I was like, So how are you doing? And he's like, Yeah. Right. We we lost a dog in our, our household in the last two weeks and so everybody's a little bit blue. And so we just checked in about that. Jack and I just had, because Jack is the dog who usually gets, he's very gentlemanly. So if somebody else wants attention, he'll step back. And he doesn't always get a lot of one-on-one. So I'm going to put a little bit extra effort into that for him. Because it was his buddy that that um, has transitioned to whatever's next. So I also would say that we have a tendency as humans to kind of want to plug into our dogs when we want to plug in, but not necessarily be available to be plugged into and often are fussing at our dogs when they do try to do that. Like they need something like before we started recording, Marco came over and pretty specifically told me he needed to go outside. And Julie and I were laughing at him because he was like, no mom, really, before you put that headset on again, we need to make a trip outside. He was being very charming and quiet about it, but he definitely was expressing like, hey, there's some urgency to this mom. So I think sometimes we miss some of that stuff. And instead of like, oh, the dog's being demanding while I'm on my Zoom call. Like, I I often think like how the, the email would look coming from the dogs. Right, right. I, I agree. Um, I was thinking about why you unfortunately lost a dog um we had emergency dog surgery last week so the same um, day the same day yes it was we were both at vet schools the same day yes yeah, so clementine of course it was clemmy she had been vomiting all morning and anyway i ended up taking her to to medvet and uh trying to decide whether we needed to do exploratory surgery because there seemed to be something going on in her intestines but the x-ray and the ultrasound were not showing anything in particular, like no quarters or squeakers or towels or whatever. And poor Zuzu was the one who was just kind of left at home and okay. And of course, my husband had to leave town because that is the only time that things like this happen is when he has to get on a plane and fly somewhere. But I was thinking about that when I got home from taking care of Clementine and and, uh, her having to spend the night, I made an effort to take Zuzu for a really good walk and to to check in with her because she's like, "Uh, Clementine's not here. This is kind of odd, Mom. So I was worried as we were about Clemmy. I also felt like I had to take care of Zuzu's emotional needs too. Because otherwise she probably would have been a real basket case. And you know what I found? I don't know if you found this, Tina, but what I have found is that when I do attend to my dog in that way, when I give them that attention, even if it's for, you know, a short period of time, even if it's just for like five minutes, okay, yeah, you need me to pay attention to you. And I do that and we really engage. I feel like I'm really the winner on the other end of that relationship because it always comes out with me feeling like wow I really got so much out of this encounter with you why do I struggle to do it well I think we all just get busy so again it's all incremental and you know most of us try to be a little bit more mindful these days than we were maybe 10 years ago right so 
that has made it more into the the culture. Well, maybe even more than before the pandemic. I think the pandemic in some ways has made us much more mindful of our relationships because they were so precious because we couldn't have, you know, really in-person relationships for a while. Right. So when we're thinking about these domains in our dogs or even people, improvement in any of the categories improves the overall quality of life for the individual, for us and for our dog. A dog who's getting better nutrition than they got before is going to inherently be more resilient. A dog who is less worried, has less environmental stress, is going to be a more resilient entity than than one who doesn't. So I do think sometimes we're not good at assessing where we're starting, right? Sometimes that can be some information that can be difficult to grab a hold of because sometimes we don't know who to ask. Uh, And I'll use nutrition as an example. I've had a big, long journey on nutrition for my animals. And in the beginning, and I, to be clear, I absolutely love my vet. I love, we have the best vet in the world. We have a great veterinary team for my animals. They don't know nutrition. They don't. Veterinary nutritionists know nutrition. So now I know not to ask my vet, right? Because I was pulling on a jaguar's nose expecting it to turn into an elephant. So sometimes I think even regular families go, well, this is what my, my vet said to feed. And I'm like, I love your vet. It's empirically, when we look at ingredients, we can see whether an ingredient is a high quality or low quality ingredient. We can determine whether or not a food is fixed formula or not fixed formula. We can see how highly processed ingredients into a food are. For example, does your food have blueberries or does it have the chemical makeup of blueberries, which is not a blueberry? So wherever we're starting, we can we can always improve. I think sometimes figuring out where we're starting can be a little bit of a sticky wicket because we don't, we don't know who to ask. Absolutely. And we all get pulled in a lot of directions and you and I point pretty regularly to three different sources. We point to the whole dog journal a lot. Shout out to them. I think everyone needs a subscription, whether you have a dog or not, it'll still improve your life. The forever dog and wag by Zazie Todd, right? Yes. I think those are three great starting points. They're great uh, starting points in that they give you how a, a starting point for how to navigate. That's a pretty middle of the road perspective, right? It's not at any one extreme of thought process on nutrition, training, all that stuff. And and the individual matter. Right. And all three of them give you great, simple things to start with. Uh, like you said, I mean, even with the forever dog, just throwing a few blueberries on top of your dog's food or, you know, a couple of mushrooms or some, you know, roasted Brussels sprouts make a huge difference in your dog's health. That is the one thing I cannot get. Like my dogs are like, no, we are not eating tiny bitter cabbages. We're not doing that. And like I've made them the way we'll eat them. And the dogs are still like, no, you eat it. It's that we know what part of the vegetable to throw away. They're really funny about it. And then Jack, the younger of the two pot cakes, thinks blueberries are designed to kill dogs. He's positive. 
He will, however, eat them if I mash them up and put them in a nice yogurt parfait. So we he gets to ingest his blueberries in a more grandiose way. <laughs> Clementine feels that way about cilantro. I can't toss cilantro onto, onto the top of her food. She picks it out and lines it around her bowl. But if I mix it in with her meat patty, that's fine. And what I find is when, I, when I'm making their meat patties, I will take um, asparagus and Brussels sprouts and broccoli and all that stuff and chop it up fine, saute it a little bit to break down the cell walls, mix it in with the meat with some, you know, eggs and various other things. So like doggy meatloaf? Yes, kind of like doggy meatloaf. I love that. And they eat, yeah, and they eat those just great. But bread kind of has the same attitude towards Brussels sprouts. It doesn't matter how I cook them. They're still Brussels sprouts, and they're not intended for human consumption. We've slowly learned how to, to eat things that are better for us. So I will say some of it is what is our expectations when we're looking at these domains, right? I'm never going to convince Mr. to not hunt the cat. Like that ship has sailed. He's 12-year-old dog. He has hunted cats in the past, not in our household. He's not been allowed to express that. I can probably do some training with him to teach him to find and search for, to hunt other things. But in the end, I can never trust that he's not going to try to kill the cat if he gets the opportunity, because that's been a hugely reinforcing behavior for him. He was a successful cat hunter in the past. And that's very intrinsically reinforcing for him. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's why I can't have chickens because Zuzu has hunted and killed a chicken in the past. Right. So part of, I think, a, a big transition in the pet world, the dog world, has been that we might be starting to recognize that it's our expectations are sometimes um, in a misalignment with who or what the potential of our dog is as dogs become more complicated. And I would say in a, you know, 30 year career that I am seeing what appears to be a drift of dogs going from being more stable to becoming more complicated as time goes on. And there's probably a whole bunch of reasons why that's happening Maybe they were always complicated and we just weren't all that awake. But as I'm seeing that transition, I'm seeing humans that are really, really frustrated with a dog who can't or doesn't want the same things they want. Somebody yesterday was opining that their their seven-year-old Shih Tzu is, quote, stubborn about agility. He has three runs in him and that's it. He doesn't, he doesn't want to do it again. And and I thought to myself, well, yeah, it's a middle-aged Shih Tzu. Like, you're the one who wants to do agility. Now, are there middle-aged Shih Tzus who are like, sign me up, I want an agility class? Sure. But that's not my normal experience with a Shih Tzu. Having owned a Shih Tzu, I can't imagine. I mean, it's, it's more like, I'm sorry, I'm bred to be a lap dog, so... Well, and, and a guard dog, like, I'm just going to yell at everything. So yes, he was he was our referee, our play referee. It's like you're not doing it right. But he was a great hiking dog. One of our best. Right. So sometimes I think it's just there's a disconnect between what we want, like oh that agility or fly ball looks really interesting and what our 
dog wants. Like if if I asked Jack to be in fly ball, it would be awful, right? He he has a lot of social anxiety and he's not comfortable with a bunch of chaos and noise. So fly ball would not be, it wouldn't matter whether he would think the exercise was fun. The environment would not be fun for him. Right. I took two agility classes with Zuzu. And because I knew how much she loved to, to run through tunnels, because she would run through the culverts under the road at our cottage. And yet when it came to the tunnels and the equipment in, in uh, agility is like, you need to go really slow and be careful because this stuff apparently is dangerous to flat-coated retrievers. So, you know, as much as I kind of wanted to try agility, Zuzu was not going to be an agility dog because you're supposed to walk through tunnels. You know, it's kind of like, I think she kind of thought she must be carrying scissors, right? Because, you know, you don't run with scissors. You do not run through the A-frame. You do not run <laughs> through the wheat poles. You do not run through the tunnel, at least in agility class. Now, you can run through a tunnel outside. That's one thing. But anyway, so you got you to gotta go with who you're dogging. I was thinking about this the other day. I don't remember exactly what it was that Zuzu and Clemmy did. They did. One of them did something. I went, oh, that's right. You're an animal. You're a dog. Every once in a while, I need this real clarification that you are not actually a furry little human. I think sometimes we think of them as imbuing or embodying something more than what they are. Dogs are wonderful just as they are. But every once in a while, I think we need reminders that our dogs are dogs, that they're not furry humans. And they have likes and dislikes in accordance with not only with their personality, but with their physicality and who they are as as a creature and i think sometimes which brings to the um you know appropriate behavior to provide congenial company and variety minimize threats unpleasant restrictions and promote engagement and rewarding activities we need to understand what's rewarding for the dog which may or may not be our idea well and i'll use this as an example so I, I love Zazie Todd. I, I love the book WAG. I refer to it constantly. There are recommendations that she makes in the book that many of my dogs would find excruciatingly uncomfortable. It would not be enjoyable for them. So it, it does all come down to a study of one, right? In the end, if Jack doesn't ever eat a blueberry, it doesn't really matter. Now, I prefer that he gets some good antioxidants from those blueberries. So we try to sneak them in a little bit. But in the end, we can use other antioxidants to bless him too. So I think there's not a one-size-fits-all answer. Right. Can you classically condition some things to get a dog more comfortable? Absolutely. Like hopefully we're going to have some episodes coming up on that. But sometimes, like, I don't like coconut, and I don't think you're going to convince me to like coconut. And I also don't think there's anything wrong with not liking coconut. Thank you. I agree 100%. Coconut is just not in my wheelhouse. And I feel a little bit like people look at me like, like George Bailey looks at Mary in It's a Wonderful Life. He says, what's wrong with you? Don't you, idiot, don't you know where coconuts come from? And it's like, yeah, I know where coconuts come from, but I don't like them anyway. I know you don't watch movies, but anyway. Don't they kill a bunch of people a year? They're murderous. I have no idea. The murderous tree nut. How? By falling on their heads? Yeah. Yeah, they bonk them on the head. Wow. See, yet another reason why, you know, you should not to like, not coconut. to like coconuts. So, 
I love the domains and that they're able to be custom fit for the individuals in front of you, right? Right. Some of it, we're just not going to adjust, right? So Marco would really, really like to be an only dog. That would make him very, very happy. Sadly, he he was adopted by a dog trainer and I can't imagine a life with only one dog because then if I lost them, I don't know how to function. So we have multiples. So it's not his favorite. That being said, would I intentionally adopt a dog who I knew was going to be an awful fit for him? No. Right. Dovey right now is not very easy for Marco. So they're included with one another, but there is no touching. Right. Dovey's not allowed to tackle Marco because Marco would not think that that was funny. And I don't want either of them hurt in a kerfuffle. So the introductions are just slower. Right. If they're never best friends, it's okay. We can always create and rotate. We do that because of the cat anyway. So it's just another complication. But I'm not going to expect Marco to be best friends with Dovey. And may and definitely not right off the bat. Right. I remember when, speaking of our Shih Tzu, Bilbo, when we got our daughter's dog, Molly, I felt like Bilbo looked at me and went, excuse me, did you not get the memo? I, you know, I signed up for the only dog household. And uh, apparently you didn't understand that part of the contract. So we just, so once again, we were careful about, you know, interaction with Molly. We let Bilbo make his decision, how much he wanted to interact with Molly. And, you know, eventually it worked out. But I think that one of the things we need to, to understand uh, is that like our kids, our dogs come with personalities and likes and dislikes and learning what those are and how to more effectively manage them will give you a lot more peace and will also provide your dog with that good mental health that we're looking for. If they feel like they're safe in their environment and their emotional needs are being cared for, you're more likely to have a positive outcome when you introduce another dog because you're really paying attention to both dogs. But I think also too, it's going to allow your dog to be happy in other ways. And I can't help but think that sometimes we have ideas, we have visions of, of what we think the ideal dog is, is going to be. And one of the things that, that is always a red flag for me is when I'm working with owners whose dogs are not working out is when they say to me, this is not the dog I wanted. So they're having a hard time accepting the dog that they actually have and trying to make it the dog that they want, and that just may not work. And what, what it boils down to is one we've talked about in rehoming issue episodes, is that that doesn't mean it's a bad dog or a bad person, it's just maybe a bad fit. And so I think that, that really paying attention to what your dog is telling you they like and, and don't like, and trying to respect that to the best of your ability, is going to give them that security at home. And in their world that we all really want. Well, and again, like for some dogs, that's going to mean meds. Yes, absolutely. Right. If, if you have a highly anxious dog who's sound sensitive, living in a major city where they send off fireworks every day. Yeah, that dog's probably going to need meds because they're not really in an environment that's all that comfortable for them. And, and we can't 
say to the rest of the world, don't shoot off fireworks, right? Like that, that's not an option. So we we don't get to be the boss of everybody around us. We have to live in the world along with other people, not just telling everyone what they're not allowed to do. So I'm going to condition what I can, but there are also times that it does mean medications or it does mean rehoming a dog. When I'm trying to help a family navigate complications of kind of more significant cases, these are the things we dig into because they're the foundational thing. As we dig into behavior, there are lots of layers to it. And often we just want to look at the behavior, right? So just like with our kids, hold on, let me find this quote for you because maybe that'll help. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree with you more because I feel like we may not necessarily know what the underlying problem is, but the more we can address the bigger issues as well as the behaviors, the more successful we're going to be just like with our kids. So here's the quote I was trying to to think of. It's by Ashley Werner. It's from something called Diversity Kids. It totally, I think, is germane to dogs too. Beneath every behavior, there is a feeling. And beneath each feeling is a need. And when we meet that need, rather than focus on the behavior, we begin to deal with the cause, not the symptom. And I would say, like, teaching your dog to sit is generally just about, like, hey, can you move your body this way for me, that's not generally speaking going to be a behavior problem, but it can be if the dog has pain. Yes, absolutely. So I think that's one of the hard things for practitioners who do training and behavior. To an owner, it's the woman who just recently called me this afternoon. Like, I have a four to five-year-old dog who's still not house trained. Well, the first thing I asked was medical questions because, yeah, we probably have a medical problem. So... I'm sure I frustrated her because she just wants a dog to stop peeing and pooping in the house. And I'm like, right, we need to start with the vet. And then, you know, I did dig in beyond that. Like, okay, how have you tried to work on the behavior and all those things? But I think sometimes, again, knowing where we're starting matters Um, and and how to dig into that. Right. And I also think, too, it's important to know that I'll have people call me whose dog is like six or seven years old and they finally want to deal with the behavior problem or new behavior problem has developed. And so one of the things that in, in going in line with this is not only knowing where are we starting from right now, but hold on a second here. Has this always been a problem? Is this a new problem? Is, you know, is your dog showing signs of pain? Because sometimes what I find is that if a dog has been fine and then suddenly we're developing an obnoxious behavior or a dis, you know, behavior that the owner doesn't like, maybe it's a sign that the dog's in pain and we need to have a pain assessment done first in order to figure out if there's an underlying organic cause to this behavior. And so I think that one of the things that the beauty of the domains is it gives you a place to start looking, you know, if we, you know, boost the nutrition a little, maybe that'll take care of, you know, this problem. And, you know, let's get rid of the lawn chemicals. See if that helps. Or maybe what we need to do is increase exercise gradually to bring the dog up to tone and good body condition, and that will help. So all of these things give you a place where you can begin to assess what's going on right now, a place where you can start with ideas for improvement so your dog can get better. But it also gives you, you say, no, wait a minute here, okay? Positive mental experiences. I thought the dog had a lot of those and suddenly we're not interested in our toys. What's going on? So it gives you a way to look at the past, 
the present and let's plan for the future. Yes. And so having variety and taking those inventories can be a real blessing for us and the dog. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And so, you know, do I think that that everything else in the universe needs to stand still while you're doing it? No, I think you can easily accommodate. I like to say screwing it up a little bit better every time, right? So I'm at the grocery store and I grab three sweet potatoes and I'm going to Instapot those for the dogs and the dogs get sweet potatoes for the next couple of days added to their food. Everybody's in good weight. So I don't worry that that's going to throw off their calorie count in a, in a major way, but it gets them some variety. And then maybe next time I go and the strawberries look really great. And so I grab some strawberries and the dogs get strawberries and yogurt mixed together, frozen in Kongs as dessert, the, you know, in the freezer a few times during the week, just working on like, maybe I can't take you for a walk because you're a fearful dog, but we can sit outside on leash and chew on a strawberry parfait Kong and classically conditioned nor like typical day in the backyard for my dog. So you're not running to the fence barking, right? You're taking in the environment. You're getting something that hopefully feels good in your belly and in your heart. And we're incorporating that rich enrichment. And I'm just keeping an eye on the dog. Right. Right. And so I think that, that I, what, what I think both of you and I would like to emphasize with this is that think of this as sort of positive intervention, a way for you to assess where you're at. What can I do to make things a little bit better? In a lot of different ways and one of the things i have found if i want to really make a difference and have it sort of be a, a, a long-term habit is i'll choose one thing you know like for a while i'm working on nutrition but when i'm working on nutrition i'm also thinking of clever ways to deliver the nutrition be it in a puzzle or a kong or you know a, a diy toy or something along that line so i think that oftentimes these are not isolated things i think they can very easily interact with one another. So then if I'm taking like, okay, let's talk about health. Well, you know, everybody's pretty healthy right now, but you know, maybe we're going to try and throw in the, an extra three walks a week. And I work on that for a while. I don't want people to think that this is something you have to dive into and fix everything. I think we're both saying that we want you to, to do this in a way that's comfortable and progressive for you and comfortable and progressive for your dog. And that's exactly what they talk about in the forever dog too, is that even little changes that you make can make a big difference. Yeah. Just little changes here and there. They don't have to be anything giant. This isn't about burying you under a to-do list. Right. It just isn't. Most parents are pretty good at getting creative about how to get things done. My children got an awful lot of nutrition in smoothies that they didn't know was in there. Right. Because they really liked smoothies. And so, you know, they they might have gotten a, a probiotic in their smoothie. They might have gotten some melatonin in their smoothie. They might have gotten some good additional stuff in their smoothie because they really like their smoothie. I think that Making it easy does not make it less valuable. Right, right. I was just thinking when you're saying that I have a protein pancake mix that I use uh, for a lot of different things. I make muffins, I make cookies, I make pancakes, waffles, and all kinds of stuff. And I can even boost the protein by adding eggs or milk, and then I'll throw in a banana. And so my granddaughter has no idea that her chocolate chip muffin 
is as healthy as it is, that it has a banana in there and it has yogurt and it has eggs and it has all these other, and it's high protein. So yeah, you can do a lot of things to make people happy that don't necessarily require a great deal of pleading or explanation. Right. It can be going out and playing fetch for 10 repetitions. It, it can be taking a handful of your dog's food and sending them out into the grass on a leash to find the kibble in the grass. It, you know, it can be doing quick little five minute things, two minute things, teaching your dog how to play hide and go seek. Honestly, one of the best things you can do, whether they're playing hide and go seek with a person or whether they're doing it with a toy is immaterial. The dogs think it is hysterical. Oh, they do. They do. I use it a ton as just a tension breaker. Like, okay, each dog needs five minutes. We're going to, you know, hide your toy five times and you go find your toy and I tell you how brilliant you are. And then like Dovey doesn't know how to do that yet. So he has to find dad, which has the added benefit of being able to tell your dog to go find dad and have him take you out. Yeah, I've, I've used that one too. I use that one too. Where's daddy? I bet he'd like to take you out. <laughs> so He needs a walk. He needs a walk. All right. Well, great. I think one of the things that we really want to emphasize here is that making your life and the quality of your dog's life better can be quick and easy. And if you think of it in terms of domains and positive additions, as well as the freedoms from these negative things. But I think working towards the positive is going to make it perhaps easier for a lot of people. So we hope that this has been helpful for you all. And we look forward to seeing you next time on Your Family Dog. Thanks for listening to Your Family Dog. Got questions? Interesting ideas? Visit www.yourfamilydogpodcast.com to share your thoughts.